This call is being recorded. Welcome to Sustainable Business Friday, hosted by the students of the Bard MBA in Sustainability. My name is Jeff Leatherwood, and I'm a proud alum of the program. I uh, graduated last May, and I'm currently based in New York City and working at the Ford Foundation. Sustainable Business Friday airs twice monthly and features sustainability, sustainability leaders from around the world and across a multitude of sectors from finance to manufacturing to today um, systems and technology and management and uh, uh, inclusion. So uh, it, it really shows that every uh, sustainability permeates every sector, every organization uh, that there is. So the uh, series is also available on podcasts if you want to listen to the archives and edited transcripts will appear on greenbiz.com. So on today's call, we're going to be speaking with Latrice Ross, Manager of Diversity and Inclusion for Macy's Systems and Technology. And uh, conducting the interview, helping with the interview, will be Bard MBA student Martin Freeman. And uh, Martin, you're a first-year student in the Bard program. Is that correct? That's correct. Finishing up uh, first year this May. And but you're based in the Atlanta area, right? That's that's correct as well. Yeah, I, I do commute uh, about monthly to the Bard MBA program for the low residency. And that's I think one of the strengths of the program, and that's what really drew me to the program was the low residency. You know, the the um, cohorts meet once a month um, up here in New York. So um, two of two of the members of my class were uh, living in Pennsylvania, and um, one actually was even traveling around to Hong Kong. So it it really has the potential to be a, a global program, and you have the opportunity to still work while you're doing it. Um, and uh, so this year, in your first year, you've been working on the uh, the. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I'm losing my mind. Um, the uh, I could, sorry, NYC. I completely skipped it in my notes. NYC Lab, thank you, pulled me out of the flames on that one. Uh, right, NYC right. NYC Lab, which is another hallmark of the program, is the ability to NYC Lab. You you work directly. Students work in groups with with an organization. Um, I worked with UBS in my NYC Lab group. Um, what what NYC Lab project are you working on? Um, well, actually, I, I'm a part-time student, so that's one of the other benefits is that uh, you can be part-time and still have a full-time job. Now, I did work closely with some of the NYC Lab students uh, just because I was interested in what they were working on, um, and we had a, about three or four groups. Uh, one was working with JetBlue, another was working with Siemens out in Germany, and another one was working with the New York State excuse me, State of New York Agri Agricultural Department. And you're absolutely right about the part-time factor for, for students who need more time to work. Um, and uh, another thing about MIC Lab is sometimes it's huge organizations, like you said, JetBlue or UBS that I worked with. And uh, But one of the other groups from my class was a very tiny startup that was working on um, on biochar coal um, so really it runs a, a range so I think uh, with that Martin I will hand it over to you to introduce Latrice all right thank you Jeff I appreciate that 
Um, today we have Latrice Ross, Manager of Diversity and Inclusion at Macy Systems and Technology. Um, Latrice has been working to ensure an inclusive environment where all employees are treated with respect. Uh, prior to joining Macy's System and Technology, she worked with Step It Up America, which was basically a program designed to train and assist minority women in starting careers as IT consultants. Um, today, we're going to be speaking with Latrice. And Latrice, I just want to start off real quick and tell me what is it that you do as a manager of diversity and inclusion? My role here is is to really ensure that our our work environment is one that is is inclusive. We have a very diverse workforce, but with our organization as well as with other many other organizations, diversity really is somewhat easy to meet. It's the inclusiveness component um, where companies struggle. And so my role primarily is to ensure that our culture is one that is inclusive where employees feel comfortable bringing their whole self to work and and still being afforded the opportunities for advancement and, and things of that nature. So it's a fun role because I get to hold those, um, what we do, we actually call it leaning into discomfort. I get to hold those conversations because having those conversations and helping to um, develop an understanding of cultural differences um, is a, is a one of the primary ways to create an inclusive culture. I see, I see. And um, I was doing a little bit of research about Macy's Systems and Technology, and their subsidiary of Macy's Incorporated, the um, omni-channel retail store in America founded in 1994. Um, and I believe it's very important that a technology company, essentially that's what you are, um, promotes that diversity and inclusion. Um, do you have any history on how that diversity and inclusion department started there? Right. Well, as with most organizational diversity initiatives within the corporate structure, many of them are born out of um, lawsuits. And here at MST, it was no different. There were um, groups of employees who felt that they were not being afforded equal opportunity to advance. And... Um, they filed a lawsuit, and out of that lawsuit, um, one of the things that Macy's voluntarily instituted was the um, diversity and inclusion um, department. We actually have a chief diversity officer within our organization, um, but it was done so that we would always have an eye on diversity and inclusion, primarily inclusion and, and equitability and things of that nature. So that's how we started. So it was born out of a challenging situation, but the result has been um, positive. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, um, I can personally speak on the positivity of this department um, just based off of the Lunch and Learn series that you've been putting together for quite some time. I think the first time I, I spoke for you was at a Lunch and Learn series that you had put together um, talking about what non-millennials need to know about millennials in the workforce. And considering that, you know, Macy's Systems and Technology um, is such an important part of the Macy's brand and you employ so many millennials that are going into the technology sector, um, I just really felt that the Lunch and Learn series was very, very valuable. Can you Can you speak more to that or talk about what other series that you have coming up? Sure. 
My focus for the first quarter of this year has been on how diversity and inclusion drives innovation. Um, as a retailer who, you know, the retail space has changed tremendously since Amazon.com has, has come about. And so there is a, a, a large push to be more innovative and to be more agile by our, by our organization. And so research actually shows that organizations that are more inclusive have the opportunity to develop greater innovative um, tools, better innovative uses of technology. And so that's what the focus has been on. We've, the Lunch and Learn just last week was on um, how creative conflict drives innovation, and that creative conflict occurs from having those cultural differences, the cognitive differences, generational differences, racial, ethnic, religious differences, because we all bring perspectives. And our perspectives sometimes are, are, different, are different from each other. And many times when we're focusing on brainstorming, it creates conflict. And the whole purpose of that is to encourage our community here at MST to not be afraid of that conflict, but to nurture it so that it spawns greater innovation. And are these um, are these lunch and learn series? Are they just for MST, or are they open to a broader audience? Um, we can have visitors who come and and definitely sit in, but they are designed. They are very much focused on our unique culture here. So many of you know many outsiders may not find the information that we're sharing useful. But you know, for instance, we did one on introversion and extroversion last year and our environment here is about 85% introverts and the focus was on how to ensure that introverts voices are heard as well as extroverts um, mm -hmm. so many of the lunch and learns are, are specific to this environment this culture but it's definitely open to visitors to sit in I, I also um, while we're while we're talking about MST specifically um, can, can we take a step back? I'd, I'd love to know more about how how long you've been there and what your path was to, to getting there, what your background is previous to that. Sure. I have been here at Macy's one year and two weeks precisely. Wow. Um, <laughs> that is precise. <laughs> yes. Um, my path here was uh, I have a long history of talent development, training and development. Um, I got into diversity and inclusion when I was an um, organizational development manager with the Boys and Girls Clubs of Metro Atlanta, and I was bitten by the D&I bug because it allows me to hold difficult conversations, but more importantly, it allows me to help people understand others better, to to understand differences and respect those differences and understand that people, we aren't the same, nor should we be the same. I remember when I was growing up, they called America the melting pot. And now the the analogy is no longer the melting pot. It's considered to be a tossed salad or a box of crayons because people are now allowed to be themselves. And so having that conversation and encouraging people to be who they were born to be, to be authentic and, and helping particularly now, you know, the current path, helping our organization understand that this type of inclusive culture breeds the type of innovation that we're seeking to move our organization forward. That's really true. The, I never thought about it, but the melting pot metaphor really sort of insinuates that we're all conforming and becoming one uniform uh, thing and losing losing our uniqueness. Right. I, I like the box of crayons. I like that. It's my yeah. favorite one, so too. <laughs> 
<laughs> because salad's less exciting. Cray- crayons right, right. <laughs> Nobody eats salad. Nobody eats salad. Um, <laughs> but um, so, so Latrice, with with all that being said, and I'm sure you're gathering, you know, immense amounts of data. People are probably coming up to you after every uh, one of these lunch and learn series, and and asking you, like, you know, what's going on? What do you see? And so my question would be is, what what exactly is your outlook on the evolution of the technology and retail industry, you know, where where those two meet and, and marry each other? Well, I, I think that we can – we all use online resources to shop now. And, and, you know, with other organizations, you can ha- order something online and, and have it delivered within an hour if you live in the right zip code, you know, as they test pilot this type of technology – you can, you know, the geographic, the location services that use your your mobile device when you enter a store, and they can give you specific marketing based on your zip code, based on other demographics that they may have gathered on um, gathered on you. So retail and technology, it's a marriage that won't be divorcing anytime soon, and technology is actually going to drive the retail culture forward because, you know, we, we see a lot of malls that are now empty. And that's because so many people are using um, online technology. And even when you see people in the malls, they have a specific item that they want. And even now for me, I'll shop because I'll have stuff sent to the store because I want to look at it before I actually make that final transaction. So I'm using technology to be more efficient, more effective, and to get the products that I need. And as a result of that, um, it's. I think the innovation is going to. We, we're going to see it constantly evolving and and challenging just how we think about how we shop. Definitely true. Definitely true. I am a avid user of Amazon, and sometimes if it's not even on Amazon, I won't even consider buying it from a regular store because I know I can get the reviews, I can get the data, it's real mm-hmm. time. I can get it in two days instead of standing in line. So right. you know it. It, you know, I, I definitely agree with your outlook on that. Jeff, did you have anything else before we move into the next section? Um, yeah, I, I would love to hear more about um, what um, what you think the value add of diversity is um, in really both the technology sector and even in the retail sector or, or any, any organization, what, you know, inclusion, um, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously great for people to be able to be themselves in their organization and feel comfortable in their organization. Um, there's, there's also a great value add to diversity and I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion on that. Sure. Um, well, there is, a, there is, the news, any news report you look at about technology and diversity, there is a documented lack of diversity um, when it comes to the technology sector. Um, there is a push to get more minorities and more women into technology and engineering um, because when you get those unique, varying perspectives, you're able to be more innovative, create greater technology, create greater tools for the, the diverse culture that will consume those tools. 
our mm-hmm. products. Um, and so that's the value add. The value add is that the the cognitive differences have an impact on how technology moves forward. The experiential differences, the life experiences, they have an impact. The age differences have an impact. Um, all of our life, all of all aspects or intersections of our diversity impact our perspective. And when you have a more diverse culture, those individual unique perspectives serve to pro- provide greater and varying perspectives when it comes to developing new technology, developing um, new products, and developing innovations as a whole. And so that's the value add for diversity and inclusion, those varying mm-hmm. perspectives, um, because we all know that consumers, it's a diverse consumer universe. And so if we are developing products and services for our, our diverse world, we need a diverse 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 pool of employees that are developing these products and services to meet those needs specifically. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Um, so moving on to the next section, um, Latrice, you're definitely, I mean, absolutely without doubt, a thought leader in this space. Um, do you have any upcoming publications that we should look out for? Outside of the master's thesis that I'm working on. <laughs> you know, I've actually um, become pretty fascinated with the subject of um, intersectionality as well as unconscious bias. And so I'm actually, I've just started outlining what a book on unconscious bias would include, um, as well as how to how intersectionality factors into how we show up for work. So there are some very preliminary type publications that I'm just now beginning to put down onto paper. I've been working on, from a talent development perspective, um, a book entitled Packaging Your Genius that sort of is a self-help to help people understand how to package themselves to be most successful in the workplace today. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have completed a, a master's or uh, in industrial organizational psychology, is that correct? I'm 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 working. I'm completing that now. Completing now, okay. Which mm-hmm. you're you're like a hair away from it. Um, yeah. I, like I say, I already consider you a thought leader, and you're also uh, looking forward to the PhD program at UGA in industrial organizational psychology uh, with the uh, uh, maybe a minor interest in neuropsychology. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, and what what got you interested going into maybe looking at and speculating into that neuropsychology aspect? Um, as I've been doing research for my industrial organizational psychology classes, all the, the countless papers that you have to write, I've um, been drawn to the topics that actually deal with neuro, neuroscience or neuropsychology and how we as employees or of a company or as adults, you know, work, working adults, how how neuroscience impacts our decision-making, how it impacts um, how we become engaged, how we accept or receive feedback. Um, and it's amazing. I think what really hooked me was research I was reading, and it, it actually said the line that got me snagged and hooked my curiosity uh, discussed how 
when giving feedback to an employee, if you're harsh with that feedback, the brain perceives that as a physical pain. It's as if you punch them. The brain doesn't, can't distinguish between that harsh verbal feedback and someone punching you. And for a minute, for, for a time, that was difficult for me to understand or actually believe. But the more research I did, and, you know, just it, I, I went down that rabbit hole and I got hooked. Um, um, because we, if we really adjust the way that we communicate with people, the way that we um, engage with our employees and look at it from how their brain is going to perceive or receive the information, we'll be more effective in, in getting the change and getting the buy-in and in, in affecting how engaged our employees are. And so from that perspective, if we actually think about the brain, it is pivotal in whether or not we accept change that's ongoing, whether or not we accept feedback that's been given, and how we engage with um, others in the workplace. Thankfully, uh, I've I've never had occasion to experience harsh feedback, so um, <laughs> I, I haven't had to experience that pain. But it, it, in a way, it makes a lot of sense um, that, that, as far as your brain is concerned, that it's 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 firing the same same synapses that are that are triggered by physical pain um so then how if if you're in a management position um what is what is your best route to to give feedback in a way that is that is going to be effective um without without causing that sort of damage well you want to lessen the harshness of it and, and one of the things that, as a manager, um, you have to understand is that you have to treat each of your employees as an individual. You can't paint everyone with the same brush, and therefore you can't give feedback the same way. Mm -hmm. um, you have to adjust for the person, for the personality, and in doing that, that helps to soften the blow. Um, mm -hmm. And just holding conversations with employees, how do you prefer to be given feedback? Um, making it quick. If there's an employee, if there was a mistake that was made, let's not wait two weeks when we have a touch base, but let's talk, let's have an informal touch base now so that, you know, we can discuss how we could have done things differently um, to have a different outcome. And that's the key when working with neuroscience. One of the, the uh, one of the techniques that um, research shows works is through questioning and helping an employee reach the right answer through a series of questions. One mm. of the things that scientists understand is that you can tell someone until you're blue in the face that this is what you need to do or this is what you should do. But until that person actually realizes the need to have that, to do that, or to, to change a, a process, they're not going to buy into it. And so it's learning how to ask the right questions to, so that the person that you're speaking with gains the appropriate understanding so that then they can go and be more effective in their role. And so my my degree program is actually helping me to be a better manager, helping me to be a better communicator by learning how to um, gain buy-in through questioning, um, effective questioning, and paying attention to nonverbals, um, listening more than speaking. Um, all of these things are, are helping me to be more effective, but it also helps um, employees be, feel more inclusive and empowered as well. Mm -hmm. 
I think what you hit on there that's so so key is is treating not painting in broad strokes, making sure that you're acknowledging that each each employee is is an individual and a person. Right. And that goes into bringing your whole authentic self to work. Um, yeah, it all ties together. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Oh, I just said it all ties together. Back to the inclusion. Okay. I'm sorry. Someone was in my office. They were telling me they were leaving for the day. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm jealous of that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh yeah, I I remember that. She all, she always gets those half days on Fridays. That's only during yeah. the summer. That's only during the summer. Um, this person actually had a family emergency and and was telling me that they were leaving. So that's what that was. So I apologize. Yeah. So this I'm is a, this is Eben Goodstein. I'm the I'm director of the MBA program. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Latrice, I want to thank you for joining us. Do you mind if I jump in with a question? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead on. Um, so I've been really, I've been following the retail industry for uh, a while, and um, my understanding is that there's been a real dramatic shift uh, in the last eight to ten years in terms of staffing, and that the figure I've seen is that prior to the 2008 uh, recession, it was 70% full-time, 30% part-time, and that uh, over the last few years it's shifted to the reverse, where it's now 30%. Uh, full-time and 70% part-time, um, and that that's been partially a consequence of, uh, you know, the technology innovation and the creation of the scheduling software that, you know, allows folks to kind of robocall and, you know, allows firms to just staff up, you know, mm-hmm. at the peaks during the morning and lunch and late in the afternoon and then uh, staff down during the slow times. Um, a, is that something that you guys are experiencing, and B, how does it – it seems like managing a part-time staff uh, and trying to instill a culture of inclusion and and a, a focus on mission and sustainability much harder than trying to do that with a full-time staff. And I'm wondering how those things are playing out in your in your in your job. Well, in, in my universe, which is the systems and technology, we have very few, if any, part-time roles here. So. Um, I don't get to experience that, but just on, you know, when I'm on calls with the other parts of the business unit, it is it is challenging, um, particularly from an engagement perspective, from an inclusion perspective. It's difficult to sustain that, but, you know, you have to balance um, that with the needs of the business. And, um, you know, bricks and mortar have taken a hit over the past few years, and so they've had to go to the staffing model in order to sustain themselves as an organization. But here at Macy Systems and Technology, it's 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 the it's where the technology that drives Macy's is done, and these are full-time employees, um, and so it's a bit easier for me, but not necessarily so. Simply because um, just the culture—it's it, a very highly tenured organization. People have been there for a number of years and are accustomed to doing things the same way. And now that we're working to become more agile and more innovative, you know, we're going through. Um, a serious amount of, of change in, in our culture and the way that we think about doing business and doing technology that drives um, Macy's forward. Thank you. That's 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 helpful. Uh, um, I'm, I'm very interested in this whole part-time 
full-time question in culture. So um, not the right person to ask. But anyway, I appreciate your thoughts. You're welcome. Yeah, so now my thing is is this, Latrice, is you, you're clearly a thought leader. Um, you've been doing these Lunch and Learn series. Um, I also see that you're a keynote speaker as well as a member of Toastmasters International. So my question is this. Do you, you currently speak on a circuit about change management, human capital development, and industrial organization? Primarily, it's been on diversity and inclusion and human capital development. Those have been the two um, types of keynotes that I've done. Um, I guess as I get further into um, my de degree program, but it will be still on the organizational side, not necessarily the industrial side. The industrial side has to do with all the numbers, number of FTEs, full-time employees, things of that nature, whereas the organizational component of IO psychology focuses on the developmental aspect that um, that comes into the HR role. So um, I've had the occasion to speak at um, diversity and inclusion conferences as well as um, 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 it's now called Association of Talent Development. It was ASTD the last time that I spoke, um, and then other local um, conferences that that are held here in the Atlanta area. I would I love to hear um, more about the what's sort of the thrust of your your keynote on on human capital, or like um, what's what's the elevator maybe the elevator pitch version of of, of that keynote. The elevator pitch, and I think the push, particularly for um, organizations that, like the one that I work for now, is is sort of the move away from this whole performance management where you get evaluated twice a year and you might get feedback between then, maybe. In order to effectively develop an employee, in order to help them feel inclusive and empowered, feedback has to be consistent. It has to be both positive and opportunities for improvement. And so that is primarily the focus um, and on how to be a more effective coach manager or coach director so that, you know, they don't see you as this hierarchical figure, but as a coach, as a mentor, as someone who's working to develop me so that I can then, you know, climb, you know, higher on the career path that I see for myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's primarily you, my focus. Yeah, I think that's I okay. think that's a really important um, important subject, and I, I think it's really positive to see more organizations focusing on on developing employees and and career paths, and um, really the importance of of human resources as a as a development tool and 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 that you know you're going to you're going to get better better work from your employees and happier employees and sort of a better work culture overall when you're right. when you're really helping to develop your staff right and that's why I engage you know many companies are focused on ensuring that they have an engaged staff and and part of um an engaged workforce is one that that feels that you as an organization are are investing in them and their development and and most companies want to do that and do it effectively. And those organizations that are seen to be have a highly engaged staff are those organizations that um, have a focus on developing their employees. Funny how that works. It is. 
<laughs> All right. Thank you for that, Jeff. Um, mm-hmm. Now, speaking on employees, um, according to um, Google Finance, Macy's has a market capitalization of about $11.38 billion, um, just under, I guess, target in terms of, you know, related companies. And they have a number of employees just under 175,000. I was looking in the Wall Street Journal this morning, and they were talking about basically uh, the push for minimum wage to to rise and some of the tensions behind it. And I was I was hearing also that this is an employees market uh, that companies are are looking for well qualified candidates and and that they are willing to pay for them. Um, in terms of what you've seen at, at Macy's Systems and Technology, uh, do you feel like do you feel that that's true and do you feel like that's an issue? Well, I think that it's partially true. I think that certain sectors or certain industries, um, it's an employee's market and others it's not. Um, I think that in the technology sector, depending on the part of the country that you're in, it's an employee's market. Um, Atlanta is a a highly competitive market and um, as a result, you know there are challenges with getting that top talent, and it, I think what we need to, the focus is on recruiting millennials for a lot of organizations because of their youth, because of their innovative thinking, um, and so with that age group, with that generation, which you're in, Martin, <laughs> um, it's not necessarily all about the pay; it's about um, the purpose of the work. Um, but it's also about the, the benefits that are associated with, you know, particularly when it comes to technology, you can do technology anywhere. So do I have to come to an office every day or can I work from home occasionally or work from wherever? Um, those kinds of things are really, you know, essential in effectively recruiting top talent, particularly in the technology sector. Yeah, most definitely. And and I believe Jeff can speak to that as well as far as, um, you know, being able to do um, things anywhere uh, because of the internet and because things are so mobile. I remember maybe about was it about four or five months ago, Jeff. We had a, um, a kind of end of semester celebration, and it was just after the Paris Climate Agreement and talks mm-hmm. uh, in November. And I remember seeing you in a room. Um, while everybody was celebrating, and you were doing a live podcast uh, with Hunter Lovins on, I guess, on her perspective about what had happened in Paris. So, so you know, it's just amazing how you can do anything anywhere, um, and I'm, I'm truly amazed by it. And, and I think it is an employee's market uh, when it comes to the millennials because, you know, like you said, Latrice, we're – we're not so much looking at salary, but in terms of sustainability, we're looking at what ha- what companies have purpose, you know, mm-hmm. who's mission-driven, you know, who's giving back, right, right. who's trying to make a better uh, future. So I-, I definitely agree with you in, in that respect. Um, Jeff, did you have anything to add or even before I, I start to wrap it up? Uh, no, I totally I totally agree with, with both of you on on the purpose factor and the intangibles that um, 
to the new workforce are as important, if not more important than than salary. Um, and if I can have a shameless plug moment, since you you brought up my uh, podcast situation, um, I I do host a sustainability podcast called The Roundery, which has been on hiatus and is returning in uh, June. So I'm really excited about that. And um, that's all I got. So uh, let's go ahead and open up. But I have one more question, else. and that, that oh, is, sure, you know, sure. as you, Latrice, as you look at your work, I mean, what do you really see as the, you know, the changes that the, the big change that you would like to see in the next couple of years in your industry, and 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 how are we going to get there? Um, from an, a diversity and inclusion perspective, I would like to see greater opportunities for women in technology, um, as well as more minorities, and and I think it. We have to think about it differently. There are many programs that try to address the need for more women in STEM and more minorities in STEM once they get to high school or college. But it actually begins before then because the foundation is laid um, when they're young. You know, I, I liken to how I have boy, I have two boys, two girls, and, you know, in my ignorance as a parent, I bought my little girls doll babies and tea sets, and I bought my boys Legos. And I was only what I was doing was reinforcing the message that boys are builders and girls are homemakers. And I think that, you know, that's changing now because society is understanding that those those little things that we do are actually, you know, building the walls that are keeping women from minority women from, you know, achieving success in technology and engineering. Um with minorities, it's, it's a lot about access. It's about, you know, having access to the schools that can provide um, the type of education that needs to be um, laid as a foundation so that you can be effective in, in those rigorous university-type programs and then providing the support network to ensure success. So there is a great move now to focus on that, and I would just like to see more focus on gender pay parity as well as having more women and minorities um, that are able to thrive in a STEM world. What can you we do had a really, kind of within the corporate setting, you know, as a I didn't hear the first part of the question. Yeah, I mean, obviously those, you know, societal changes are key, but, you know, from within a company, I mean, what, what, how, can you, how can you facilitate that? What do you think well, is kind of the key drivers as a manager? I think that companies are understanding that they have, you know, this whole um, theme of corporate social responsibility. Um, They're understanding now that they have to um, give back to those communities so that they have a qualified talent pipeline. Um, Macy's is a part of a group of of retailers who are – who have gone recently to local schools to talk about, you know, changing the way that we educate our kids so that once they graduate, they are qualified to step into the roles that we're currently unable to fill. Um, more and more organizations, you'll, if you read the media, more and more organizations are focusing on giving back, but not necessarily from a charitable perspective, but on providing the mentoring, the coaching, or even the the space so that training young people to be effective in in these rigorous type engineering and computer science roles. Um, They're making the space available. They're making the resources available so that they can help build a talent pipeline for the future. And that's what we have to do more of as an organization. 
we had a great call last week on Sustainable Business Friday with uh, former First Lady of New York, Silda Wall-Spitzer, uh, about a similar similar topic, but in the finance realm, you know, making sure that there's more uh, more women in what has traditionally been a boys' club, and mm-hmm. um, tech obviously has the same same situation. So it, it's really great to see both more women and minorities um, being encouraged and welcomed into those spaces. Absolutely. Yeah, let's, uh, well, let's could, reach the, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, if anyone else on the line has any questions or uh, any questions brewing for Latrice, um, speak up. And uh, otherwise, uh, Martin's back to you. Okay. Give them about 30 seconds to maybe unmute their phone if they're trying to add uh, something. How many people do yeah, you have online right now, Jeff? Okay. Uh, that's confidential information. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. But, uh, okay. If, if you yeah, have no a question, problem. feel free to pipe in. Okay. Uh, I didn't hear anybody pipe in. So, um, you know, we're, we're about 19 minutes before the top of the hour. But my, my last question to you, uh, Latrice, is, you know, for anybody out there, uh, do you have any books that you'd like to recommend for maybe reading up or learning more about change management, um, you know, industrial organization development, human capital? Well, um, I'm a big proponent of, of self-awareness and self-development first. And I think that a lot of how we think, a lot of how we approach change has to do with our mindset. And there is a book that's one of my favorite books. It's by Dr. Carol Dweck, and it's um, entitled Success, entitled Mindset, The Psychology of Success. And it goes through, it, it talks about having a fixed versus a growth mindset and how the impact of having either. Um, and I think that plays a big factor in how we grow, how we develop as, as professionals. Um, TED Talks with Dr. Angela Duckworth on the concept of grit and resilience, um, those are, are sort of my, my go-to references that I love to share with people because, I, like I said, I'm a, you know being in talent and development for over 20 years. You have to start with a look in the mirror, and I think these resources help you begin to become more self-aware about how you think and how your mindset develops and how to focus on changing so that you can have a more productive and successful life. So those are the the two resources that I would recommend. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Well, you know, Jeff, even uh, it's been a great call. Uh, Thank you for having us um, or coming on rather, Latrice. I'm going to hand it back over to Jeff so he can wrap up. And um, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Sure. I do have one more question. for the current class of uh, cohort of students who are about to graduate from the BARD MBA in sustainability or anyone else who happens to be on the call, um, do you have any any sort of job advice, job seeking advice, career advice um, in in the uh, in the inclusion and diversity sector or or the tech sector or or any well, any sort of parting words of, of wisdom for the graduating class? So for one of the research shows that oftentimes women won't apply for a job unless we're 100% qualified, where men will, ap- will apply if they're 60%, 70% qualified. So for the women graduates, if you meet 50 60% of the criteria, 
apply for the job anyway. Um, just from a an interviewing perspective, um, I, I when I mentored um, the women at Step It Up America, I, I told them to make certain that their resumes roared, and roars is an acronym for um, results oriented and relevant. And what I what I always recommend is that as you go through your career, you have this master resume, which is, you know, as you go through, it will be ginormous eventually. But you create this master resume with all the things that you've learned, all the things that you've done in corporate America and that apply, that could potentially apply to the workplace. And as you begin to apply for, for jobs, you will take that master resume and then you will take what's relevant and results-oriented and apply it to the job that you're applying for. Gone are the days where you have one resume that you simply mass mail to everyone. You have to customize your resume so that it shows results that you've garnered during your career and that it's relevant to the job ad. You can't just, you know, bullet point what your job description, but you have to show the results that you've achieved and those results that are relevant to the job that you're applying for. That is an incredibly valuable tip, and thank you so much for that. It's really great to get the perspective of somebody who is often on the interviewing side of the table um, for people who may fear being on the other side of that table. And it wasn't, yeah. you know, specifically diversity and inclusion related, but as, you know, new grads, many, you know, sometimes they haven't had that corporate opportunity, and that's how you, you get noticed. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think feeling feeling confident that you don't have to check every box um, for what the qualifications that they're asking for, you know, feeling like if you're, if you're 50 or 60% there, um, right. that's, I think that's a really valuable tip as well. Right. And more, the more innovative organizations, they're actually interviewing for cultural fit. They'll teach you how they need for you to do the work, but they need to ensure that you're a good cultural fit for the organization. So, you know, the more innovative the organization is, um, you know, and that comes from Sir Richard Branson. That's actually how he interviews, you know, how his organization interviews will teach you what needs to be done to get the job done. But do you have the the cultural fit, the personality for the organization that we have here? Mm -hmm. Wow, that's huge. That's huge. Um, Jeff, uh, I'm yes. going to take that up to New York with me uh, next week. I know you'll probably be at work, but I'm going to take that up there and, and, and share that with the, the graduating students because, um, that's that's valuable advice right there. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I, I will be attending the uh, capstone presentation. So. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I think this has been a fantastic call. Um, Latrice, I, I didn't run this by you ahead of time, but is if, if anybody um, listening to the call uh, has any, any follow-up questions, um, is, are, are you open to, to fielding questions beyond the call? Sure. And what would be the best way for anyone to contact you? Well, my email address here at Macy's is Latrice, L-A-T as in Tom, R-I-C as in Charlie, E, dot Ross, R-O-S as in Sam, S as in Sam, at Macy's.com. Well, thank you so much again for your time. And uh, on, a, on a, well, in New York, it's a very bleak and rainy Friday afternoon. It's a beautiful um, day here in Atlanta. Uh can be jealous. And uh, to <laughs> anyone listening, if you're interested in learning more about the BARD MBA and sustainability, you can check out bard.edu slash MBA. And if you want to hear more archives from Sustainable Business Friday, you can go to um, also on the BARD MBA website or 
at greenbiz.com. There's a whole catalog of really some great conversation. And uh, I'm Jeff Leatherwood on behalf of the Bard MBA in Sustainability. And thank you for joining us on Sustainable Business Friday. And have a fantastic weekend. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks.